Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's exactly what you would write in the sand if you were stuck on an island, right? H-E-L-P, help. And then you see the helicopter go by, you start waving. BetterHelp is that helicopter. They are the ones that will save you. They will pick you up. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, it's been a sense of feeling inadequate or uh, afraid of expressing my needs. Because like, if I express my needs and they say no and they find out what I really want, they're going to leave and I'll be abandoned and I have to start all over again. And, and also just comparing myself to other people. Every time I compare, I get on social media and I see the, the amazing life that other people are living, it just makes me want to just curl up and stop doing everything that I'm doing. But BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, I understand when you are in uh, despair and, and you are spiraling, you just feel like, the last thing I want to do was talk to anybody, but it's the best thing to do. When, when I was in trouble, when I couldn't see my way through the, the, the thickness, through the darkness, it was talking to someone, especially a professional therapist that guided me through. I still have a therapist. I have not only my own therapist, but I have a couple's therapist. So me and my girlfriend have a therapist. Like therapy, talking to someone is so beneficial but it doesn't feel like it when you're in the midst of it. Now, I want you to remember that it's not a crisis line. Better help is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Better help is not the right solution for you if you have thoughts of hurting yourself or others. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with, as with traditional therapy. You could kick back at the crib at your house in Sukasa and get your therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and Free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And here's the kicker, ladies and gents. Financial aid is available. That's right. But you, ain't, you don't have to go to college. College ain't the only one doling out financial aid. BetterHelp has financial aid because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, right? Check them out. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. I got a slash before the name. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's Better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer. Here's a special offer. Check this out. I just, 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 just came in just now. Special offer for my Before You Kill Yourself listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. Just for tuning in, just for being a, a friend, uh, an ally, uh, just somebody who I could just, who I enjoy spending my time with. 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Let's go. On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, we have Ariel Garten, who co-founded Muse as an expression of her background in neuroscience, psychotherapy, and art, along with her dedication to bring easy-to-use and accessible tools for well-being to the masses. Ariel is also the co-host of Untangle Podcast, where she interviews groundbreaking neuroscientists, psychologists, and meditators to teach listeners about the brain, how it works, and how to use it to its full potential. All right. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, just a little bloated, but you know, besides that, life is good. 
It happens. Hold on, hold on. I'm fixing my headphones. I can't hear you. I did catch the fact that you were bloated. (laughs) Try this again. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I sent away for uh, this company called Viome, V-I-O-M-E. And like, uh, basically like you poop in a tool, uh, in a, a tube and they tell you the foods you should eat. Um, so I'll be experimenting with that this week. Yeah, I know Viome. Um, it's a Silicon Valley company founded by Naveen Jain. And I know Naveen. Yeah, I've I, kind of never wanted to do it because one of the things they, they like tout is like, maybe blueberries aren't good for you. And blueberries are my favorite food. So I don't want anybody letting me know I shouldn't eat blueberries. Uh, oh, oh, so same here. I Like I'm, I'm huge on having oatmeal for breakfast and, and throwing my blueberries in there, you know, for some color and antioxidants, of course. And uh, of course, there's like a couple of teardrops when of course, on my profile, they're like, well, it's not that I can't have blueberries. But, like, I can have, like, 0.5 ounces of blueberries. Like, why even have blueberries at that point if I can't just have a handful? For real? You got the no blueberries? Oh, fuck. I'm okay. so sorry. Well, <laughs> no, I, know, I know. It's like, why am I even going to the farmer's market anymore? I, I'm going there for the fresh blueberries. Like, they, like, it's just sadness. Like, the more you learn about yourself and, like, what you, how to, like, live optimally or whatever... It's just like there's like I can't have blueberries. I can't have uh, raspberries. Uh, it's just all the good things that mangoes. My mom is from Belize and there's we grew up with nothing but mangoes and grapes uh, in our backyard. And I can't have either one of those because the, the fiber is what causes my bloating. So according to volume, according to volume. But I, I've kind of known that I, I've kind of been in tune with that. Isn't the next, sorry, I'm on this for a second because I'm honestly curious. And just for the record, like I'm a biohacker. I'm deeply into understanding myself, my gut, my body, but I intentionally, and I've known Biome for years and I've intentionally not done it because I didn't want the blueberry news. <laughs> so it's so but, funny that you got that. But um, what is, uh, uh, did you have a question? I'm sorry. I thought you were, go ahead. Where it's going to go next is, isn't the whole point that once you understand your biome, then you can start to take probiotics that can shift it so you can eat blueberries or digest fiber more effectively? So that yes, uh, is the short answer. However, the trouble that I find is I love to travel and I, and I feel like you're a big traveler too. And was pre-COVID, PC. Pre-COVID, right, right. Uh, I'm just chomping at the bits right now. And when you travel, like when I travel, I want to taste all the things. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be like, oh, let me look at my blood type and see if I can have, <laughs> like, I just like whatever, like when I see, like we were just in Peru before this whole COVID thing broke out and we had to cut our trip short because we literally got a notice that in less than 24 hours, they were going to, sh- they weren't letting anybody out of Peru. So we were like a uh, few miles away from hiking Machu Picchu. And then we have to turn it all around, come back. But my point is, in Peru, you have these people who are living to a healthy age of 100. Easy. Mm-hmm. And women walking around with uh, dark black hair in their 70s, like no grays. And all they're eating is just like potatoes and uh, corn and I think quinoa, like those are the, the three main staples. They throw in some trout, but the trout is not indigenous uh, to their area. And I'm just like, why, why can't I just eat what they're eating? Like, why do I need all this, this extra uh, poop in a tube thing? And these people are just like eating off the land. That seems to be the way to go. Is just eat off the land. But my point is, I want to eat what they're eating. They're living to 100. They're healthy. They're not walking around with canes. They don't have any glasses on. They're not, uh, they're not limping. They're strong. They're carrying stuff from their head uphill for miles and miles. And uh, it just seems the way to go. Maybe the way to go is to carry stuff on your head uphill for miles and yeah. miles. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. Like with all of the things that we do, exercise is one of the main things that leads to longevity. It's so true. It, you know, I, that is one of the biggest takeaways I took away from that trip also is not only was movement imperative, but collaborative movement, even more mm. fulfilling. Be- they had this thing called Anye or Anyi, 
And Anyi means uh, reciprocity. So if one person's uh, house or farm needs uh, assistance, if they need help, they call on everybody else in the community to come help them. And if you decide that you want to be lazy for that day, they remember you. And then when you need help, <laughs> nobody comes to help you because you didn't participate in Anyi. And so it's that collaborative movement. Everybody was planting potatoes together. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad you're into the biohacking thing. I, I, I saw in an interview somewhere that you like, uh, that you were taking progesterone spray. Yes. Is that, was that to help get pregnant or was there some other uh, additional uh, benefit for the spray? There is a cognitive benefit. So I actually oh. had a mild TBI. Um, after I gave birth, my progesterone dropped. I had a bump on my head and ended up with a little concussion. And I actually noticed that every time my progesterone peaked with my cycle, I was dramatically improving in my cognitive function. I was like getting back to normal again and recognized that actually taking progesterone straight spray intranasally, like was my superpower. It was the thing that got me through the concussion. This is not medical advice and should not be, you know, <laughs> don't try this at home. But if you do, it actually really works to me at least. Now, how did you discover that? Where like you just like spraying other things up your nose and then <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, like what was the trial? What was the, the trial? You had like 20 different sprays. They weren't labeled. And you were like, that one feels. <laughs> that one feels zippy today. Yeah. That little white powder really made me really like energetic. No, not what happened. <laughs> It was all legal. Um, so I started to notice that uh, in the time of my cycle, the two weeks before my period, when I was, we're getting incredibly graphic here. We've started with poop and now we're onto menstrual cycles. Um, so when I was in the two weeks before my period, I would get better and better and better every day. And I thought it was the other interventions I was doing. I was doing hyperbaric oxygen and laser light therapy. Like I'm incredibly lucky that I've accessed all these things because the, you know, head of Toronto general, uh, um, hyperbaric oxygen is like a colleague of mine and I'm doing studies together and blah, blah, blah. So I had access to all these incredible tools. And I assumed that every day I was getting better because of these other tools. And then it would be like, you know, day 28 and all of a sudden I'd feel like crap again. And I wondered what happened. And I watched that cycle for three months and then it was incredibly obvious what was happening. It was just my cycle. And so I started to experiment with oral progesterone. And there were a number of papers that were written about the application of oral progesterone for traumatic brain injury. They were using 100 milligrams of micronized progesterone. Um, by weird chance, my brother was having dinner in Atlanta with one of the... Um, neuroscientists who actually wrote those papers, just complete random coincidence. So I started collaborating with him and he's like, oh, you're like behaving like my rats do when I give them progesterone. Um, fascinating that a human's doing this. And so in collaboration with him, I started to sort of figure out the dosing. I then was trying progesterone cream transdermally um, to see if that would give me more improvement. I then put it on my neck to try to get it into my brain faster without getting the rest of my body. And that was the first time that I was like, whoo, there's something happening here. This is working. And so then started to ideate on, well, you know, what are the ways that you get stuff into your brain effectively? Um, and it turns out that you know, there was a reference to an oral, sorry, an, a nasal progesterone spray. So I started to experiment with that and that really worked. Again, this is not medical advice. I'm not a medical doctor. This was my own experimentation. Don't try this at home, et cetera. Um, but it was tremendous. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, potential uses for athletes. You know, I played high school, college football, and I definitely know I have some uh glitches uh in the in the old cabeza and i, I would imagine I, mean, I haven't i haven't googled anything so once again like we're not doctors um but it, it just it makes me think that maybe progesterone would help with uh those who've had maybe had concussions or uh struggling with uh cte but i'm just throwing that out there so i'm thinking we should rename this podcast to we are not doctors yeah <laughs> um, however <laughs> uh there's actually a hockey team. Um, I gave a talk about 
the brain and sort of a little bit of my experience with progesterone slipped. And there was somebody in the audience who is actually a doctor from a hockey team. And he came up to me and said, actually, we're experimenting with this with our athletes as well. Intranasal progesterone, um, it seems to really be working. They become slightly less aggressive, but they also get less concussions. Um, and so uh, it, it may well be making its way into the athletics field. And then I told a number of my colleagues who work in the space of um, specifically brain health and, you know, they're looking at experimenting with their patients in formal trials. I, I love it. And, and I love that you're in a biohacking because I, I could I could read about this stuff all day, um, the different ways to hack the brain. And I'm excited to have you on, Ariel. Um, you, you're kind of like in and tell me if this is not a compliment. But when I look at the fact, <laughs> I can't wait to hear but, what you're going to say. But when, when I look at the fact that you're trained as a neuroscientist, you're a mom, you're a psychotherapist, and uh, you, you're also a fashion designer. The first thing I, that came to mind when I think about like the company Muse that you co-founded and you being a fashion designer was Steve Jobs. Because Steve Jobs was a person who, you know, as we know, was into computers and all that stuff. But he also had this background in calligraphy. And it was it was that that combination of calligraphy and having an eye for a design that allowed them to make these, not just computers, but these beautiful products that we want to touch and feel and, and we get excited to receive. And I would imagine that you having a background in fashion design and also in, you know, computers and, and so, like, the, like you put your heart and soul into design of, the Muse headband. Yes, I'm going to pause because my husband keeps walking up the stairs and I'm just going to close the door one okay. second. We can edit out that little bit. Oh, we're keeping it in. People need to know that things are... No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I would have I would imagine that, uh, you know, in terms of the design of the Muse headband, that you you had such a uh, uh, an influence on it and 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 brought your um, your fashion design background into it. It, it you know, I, I, I'm just I just thought it was like Steve Jobs. And then I was like, who's her Wozniak? Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I, I don't totally feel Steve Jobs, it's both, you know, a compliment and there's also some detriment in there. Um, but certainly the idea that having an eye for design is fundamental and technology is key. I mean, when we started by creating a tool that literally is a slim little brain computer interface that helps you meditate, when we started the path of creating this thing, it could have been very ugly, very large, very cumbersome and very hard to use. And it was the like unending emphasis on design and creating an experience that was going to feel really human and really beautiful and, and fit in with our, you know, with our human ways of being that people are going to actually want to wear and use that was fundamental to its success. You know, if you're making technology for technology's sake, you're screwed. You have to be making technology for human sake, technology that people want to use and want to have a part of their life because it's beautiful, it's elegant, it's simple, and it adds true benefit. And we we know, well, for, for the listeners out there, you know, the Muse headband is to help facilitate meditation uh, for those out there. But I have, obviously I'll have you explain it in, in a much more detailed aspect. But we, when you talk about facilitating an experience, you know, we know that the hardest part for meditation is just getting to the mat. It's just sitting, just sitting down. Once you sit down, then it kind of kicks in. But just even going to sit, just even going to take time for yourself, is so challenging uh, for people. So it, it makes sense that you really want to create an experience that you uh, that you'll enjoy and that will nudge you and encourage you into meditation. Um, can you talk to us about the, the Muse headband and how it works and how it came about? Absolutely. So Muse is a slim little device. It's kind of like a Fitbit for your brain. It tracks your brain activity during meditation and it gives you real-time feedback to know when you're focused and when your mind is wandering. 
So we all know that meditation is good for you, but meditation can be really hard to do because you don't know what's going on inside your head. There's no little coach inside of there saying, oh, you know, you're in the meditation zone. Great. Oh, your mind's wandering. Come on back. And so what we're able to do with Muse is be able to track specifically when you're in focused meditation, when you're in the zone and when your mind is wandering. We don't know what the contents are. We don't care what the contents are, but we are able to give you real time audio feedback to help you hear when you're in the zone and when you're out of the zone. And so it becomes this very rewarding experience to keep you into that focused attention zone out of your negative wandering thoughts and to really reinforce you to start and enhance your meditation practice. So the headband connects to an app on your phone. You hear audio feedback from your phone and you're able to also see data after the fact. So you can see when your brain was wandering and when you were focused and you can get lots of kind of feedback and data and reinforcement to actually see the progress of your meditation practice. I love that because I'm all, you know, being an athlete and uh, it's all about being in a zone about how do you focus? How do you, how do you sit down and do the thing that you want to do for 30 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours, or however long the task uh, takes? We're in such a hyper, uh, unfocused world where we're driving and texting. I, I know I'm guilty of it and I'm ashamed to say it, but you know, we're just doing, t we feel like we should be doing 12 things at once. And so to have something like uh, uh, some type of uh, feedback to let us know when our mind is wandering is, is very helpful. Um, for me, it's all about the breath. And so what, how does um, the, the headband help you versus just, thinking about coming back to your breath, you know, like that did you learn in, in yoga and so many other uh, movement modalities? So if you're an experienced meditator and you know how to just stay with your breath and stay there and absolutely stay there and your mind never wanders and you never miss the fact that it wandered and you always bring it back to your breath, then maybe you don't need a device. But for the rest of the 99.99999% of the world who is just getting our legs under us as a meditator... Um, or even an experienced meditator who wants more insight into the practice, what Muse does is it actually notifies you when your mind has wandered. So the metaphor we use is your mind is like the weather. So when you're thinking or mind wandering, you hear it as stormy. And as you bring yourself to quiet, focused attention, it quiets the storm. So you have this very simple paradigm where you hear your mind as stormy when it's wandering, and then you hear it as calm when you're focused. And so you're really reinforced to stay in this focused attention spot. And you could be focusing your attention on your breath, which is the most common practice, or you could be focusing your attention on a point in your body. And for most people, when you meditate, you're sitting there, your mind wanders away from your breath, then you're on your grocery list or you're on negative ruminating thoughts about the shitty thing that happened to you the other day. And you're like three or four or five minutes down the road on that thought because it's really compelling. And then you're like, oh, right, I was supposed to be meditating. Okay, back to my breath. And then that thought is really sticky and really compelling and it pulls you back again. And then you're like, oh, shit, right, meditating. Okay, back to the breath. Um, and so with Muse, you're actually informed instantaneously, like within one second, that your mind has wandered. And so that becomes your cue to then be like, right, mind wandered. I'm now observing my own mind much more effectively. I see that it's wandered. I'm now going to choose to bring my attention back to my breath. And that simple exercise the moment of noticing that your mind is in a place where you don't want it to be and being able to choose in that moment to take it away and put it on something neutral where you do want it to be, that is like the fundamental transformation of meditation. And that's how it delivers the incredible power to bring us back into the present moment, to take us out of our negative thoughts, to reduce our stress, anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so with Muse, what we help you do is we help you identify that wandering and quickly come back to the present moment. You know, what I love about that is it's a way of uh, teaching you that you don't have to get caught up in your thoughts. You know, a, a lot of times we think if we're thinking about a thing, we have we should be thinking about that thing and we should be getting lost in it. And it's just a way to kind of recenter yourself so that when you do go back to think about whatever it is that's bothering you or, or causing you angst, you have a bit more clarity than having all the emotions uh, wrapped up around it. Because I initially, when people were talking about meditation and it's a way of clearing your mind and coming back to your breath and, and finding focus, 
And I was like, yeah, but that's not solving my problem. And I, I realized that you just because you're thinking about a problem doesn't mean you're working on a problem. And sometimes you have to take time for yourself and taking time for yourself and, and, and finding stillness will then open up other uh, pathways for you to see opportunities with dealing with whatever the issue is. Or you may even realize after a session of meditation, it's not a problem at all. You know, that, that thing that was weighing so heavily on you uh, has just naturally dissipated and, and you realize it's something that you can let go. But it's, it's a way of, of reminding yourself you don't have to get caught up in a downward spiral, as Alex Korb would say. Absolutely. So most of the time our mind is wandering and most of the time our mind is wandering on something that is repetitive and not particularly helpful. And that actually makes us unhappy. And there was a study from Harvard University by two scientists, Killingsworth and Gilbert, and they had people have a little iPod in their hand. And every time they were mind wandering, there would be a notification and it would say, where's your mind now? Is it wandering or on the task that you're doing? They discovered that 46.9% of the time our minds are wandering and not on the present moment and not on the task that we're doing. And they correlated that a wandering mind makes us unhappy that we are significantly less happy when we're in those wandering thoughts than when we're doing whatever activity it is that's in front of us, even if it's an activity that's not that great. And we get caught up believing that we need to be in that wandering mind. This is, you know, called rumination. This is what depression often looks like. You feel like you need to be thinking those thoughts, but that is just an illusion. You are just being sucked into a cycle that is not particularly helpful that is not particularly solving a problem for you. It's just getting you stuck. And so when you recognize that you have the power to actually move your mind elsewhere, to choose the contents of your own mind, to make a choice and to put your mind elsewhere, it is extraordinarily liberating. And these are the beginning moments to moving yourself out of difficult places and just being in the here and now. Because the here and now is actually fine. It's our thoughts about the rest of the world and what could be and what might be and what other people are thinking and what's going on that are terrible. But the reality is the here and now actually is okay. I love that. And, and Ariel, and so, not, so, so it doesn't look like we're sugarcoating things. For someone out there who's losing their house, right, and how do, you, how do we address the real life issues that are taking place? How, how, do, how do we frame that? Because we're not saying don't, don't think about, you know, the fact that your house might be foreclosed on or that uh, you might be on a cusp of, of losing your job. How are we talking about framing that? And, and I know that, you know, the focus here is, is meditation, but how would, you, how would you frame that, you know, challenges that come up for you? Sure. And there are, without a doubt, a lot of very real challenges going on today. Super real. The question is, where do you choose to spend your time and attention on them? So you might be losing your house and that sucks, like beyond sucks. There's no question about it. It's very difficult. But we get caught in these loops of repeating it over and over and over and over again. And so rather than being in solution you know, where do I need to move next? What do I need to do? Who do I need to inform? You know, what are the steps that I can take? Rather than being in solution, we get stuck in the negative cycle of it. We feel the intensity of the emotions of it, which cause negative ruminations with cause more intensity of emotions in, as you put it, thank you, Alex Corb, the downward spiral. And when you're able to actually Stop even for a moment that spiral. You're able to stop the ruminations about it. You're able to gain a little bit of relief and perspective. You can start to take the steps in the direction that are actually going to move you forward. Now, I would just because. Oh, go okay, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go for it. Um, I would imagine with all the slash marks, neuroscientist, mom, you know, psychotherapist, and fashion, like, did you probably have a mind that's was always, you know, thinking 10 steps forward. Is that kind of why this has become part of your mission, this company? Or was there uh, some other reason that, that led you into being a co-founder of Muse? 
so yeah, I had a mind that was doing a lot of things and I didn't want to meditate way, way, way back then. Cause I was like, I like all these thoughts. They're really helpful to me. And then you recognize that actually most of them <laughs> really aren't helpful. Only a select number are helpful and you don't have a way to actually have metacognition, the ability to actually see your own thinking, to know which ones are useful and, and moving you forward and which ones are not. So I began the path of creating Muse actually when I was a psychotherapist. I would be teaching meditation to my patients and they would go home and they would say that they were meditating, but it wasn't really successful. And actually, I was a terrible meditator at the time too. I was teaching somebody to meditate and I still sucked at meditation um, because my brain was racing all over the place and I didn't want to give that up, to be honest. And so, but I knew the power of meditation. I knew the thousands of studies. I knew the impact that it makes in your life. Um, and so it was through the process of creating Muse as a meditation tool that I was able to begin my own path of meditation. And now there are literally hundreds of thousands of people that meditate regularly with Muse and have seen the rollout and the improvements that meditation has made in their life. So for me, it's really been a mission to help people understand that you don't need to be stuck with the contents of your own mind. You don't need to be stuck in the place that you are in. There is a way to change the relationship with your brain. And it's, you know, stepwise and, and it's slow and it's bit by bit, but it really can work and it really does work. And, and this is important. I want to emphasize, uh, you know, why I'm super excited about this technology and having you on is because so many of my listeners, we know with suicidality that, uh, they fall into a black and white thinking, a catastrophizing of events, and they they get off center. You know, they lose their focus. They they uh, become unmanned, as Abraham Lincoln says uh, in his book. And this is just a reminder that we have an anchor, that that we have an inner resource that we can come back to to ground us and. For those of you who have struggled with meditation, this could be a way of getting you to the mat to sit with yourself. There's nothing harder. There's nothing harder in the world than to just sit with yourself. We talk, think about isolation, uh, you know, where you got in trouble in school. And I think that's why meditations become so hard for a lot of people. In school, if you got in trouble or even at home, they sent you to the corner. They were like, go sit in the corner uh, and, with your thoughts. Like that was your punishment. And and now we're trying to reframe it as being enlightenment. And I, I think that a lot of people still have that wiring of being with myself, especially in a corner, eyes closed. Like it's a punishment. Like it, it, I did something wrong. And it's it could be there could be nothing further from the truth. So I just I it's so important for me to to re-educate people as to the importance of being able to be with yourself and and how much uh, knowing that you have that anchor can recenter you. That's an incredibly important observation. And one of the things that can be really scary for someone who is a little intimidated by meditation is the idea that sitting alone with their thoughts is going to make it worse. And that's one of the ways that Muse can actually be really helpful because you're getting audio feedback. You're not actually alone with your thoughts. So you're getting audio when you're focused. There's little birds that chirp. It's really lovely when your mind wanders away rather than wandering into the thought and thinking about the thought and getting stuck in that negative thought. You hear the sound of a storm pickup or an ambient soundscape. We have a number of different soundscapes you can choose from. So you're not actually left alone with your thoughts. You're sitting there with a guide that is just telling you, hey, you're thinking you probably want to stop doing this now. Let me encourage you back onto something neutral. Um, the guy doesn't actually say that, the, but the audio encourages you to do that by getting quiet and loud with little reinforcing sounds. And so it's not the experience of sitting alone with your thoughts that can be so scary that you may be imagining. It's somebody that's there with you. And then we also have lots of guided content. So there's um, meditation teachers who can talk you through whatever it is that you're going through in your life. So you can find, you know, meditations for morning joy or banish the cranky or, you know, waking, wake, waking up feeling not so good or getting frustrated in line, like all of these things we have meditations for. So there's, you know, guidance and inspiration to help move you out of the deep, dark place you may be in. Yeah, I just had uh, Garen Jones on and he talked about how 
he listens to guided meditations because instead of music, because he wants the voice of the guided meditator to become his music, his songs. You know, when we think about how we memorize a song, we don't try to memorize it. It's just that we've heard it over and over again. And so for, for those thoughts, those catastrophizing thoughts, those maladaptive thoughts that you're having, we can, we can replace those. It's not about getting rid of it as much as it is about planting seeds of nourishing thoughts and adaptive thoughts. And so for me, that's been the value of, of listening to guided meditations for people who are like, what's the difference between sound and guided meditation? Sometimes you, you want to plant seeds of new thought into your brain so you can start to reframe the world that you're navigating. Absolutely. There was yeah. an, go, go ahead. There was another place I wanted to go. Let me just think of what it was. I also want to take a moment and talk about acceptance. Okay. Because when we're talking about the guy whose house, you know, let me start this again. I also want to take a moment and talk about shit, maybe I don't want to get into this now. So I'm, I'm presuming all of this is going to be edited. No, I'm trying no, to think yeah, specifically about it. your audience okay. and what's going to be most helpful to them. Um, so this is, we're out of the podcast for a sec. So when we talked about the difficult situation or we talk about COVID, you know, one of the things that's so powerful is being able to simply accept what what is and not hold on to what used to be. And I think that's a concept that's important for us to to cover, but I'm afraid that it might trigger somebody as I go there. So I'm trying to kind of. Well, I, I tell you what, go ahead and speak with passion. And if there's anything that uh, I deem or you deem uh, triggering, we could always edit it out. But, you know, I also think that, and, and I talk to my listeners about this. Sometimes I will have something in an episode that is triggering and I'll let them know up front that uh, it may be triggering but and here's the reason why I left it in, and here's how I want you to listen to it and frame it, and here's a situation I, I want you to listen to this in. Uh, so I, I do give uh, a, a pre warning as to something that might be triggering. However, with so many people struggling with uh, losing their homes, losing uh, you know uh, grieving the loss of a relationship, uh, you know illness. It, we need to have real conversations. You know, this isn't the time yeah. to, to gloss over things. So uh, at the same time, we have to talk about what's happening in the world in, in order to help people move through it. Cool. So let's go there in a minute. I'll pick up on your thought about guided meditations and then we can move into acceptance. Um, yes, absolutely. Guided meditations can be really, really powerful to help you essentially reprogram your brain. You know, we, it's very easy to get stuck in a negative place or it's very easy to get stuck with a particular belief. And when you start to open yourself to wanting to change that belief, it can be hard to do so. And one of the techniques that I use is to actually make tapes on my own phone. I mean, it's not a tape. There's no physical tape. I use the voice recorder on my iPhone. And I will say something that maybe not entirely what I believe at the moment, but what I actually know to be true. I just can't feel to be true or what other people have told me should be true, but I can't feel to be true. Um, you know, it might be phrases like I love myself deeply or I'm deeply accepted or I am enough or, you know, any range of things. And I'll put them on my phone in my own voice, telling myself over and over again, and I will listen to it and I will find myself shift and change in my openness and acceptance to it. And I'll start with phrases like maybe it is possible that I could be enough. And then I'll work to, you know, probably it's likely that I'm enough. And then I'll work up to I am enough. And through each of these little shifts of language, I open more and more and more till my brain and body come to accept this idea. So guided meditations can be incredibly powerful tools to hear somebody else in your ear telling you these things as you allow yourself bit by bit to open and shift and accept to them. Um, and you know, sometimes it's a beautiful voice in your ear and you totally, you know, you just go with what they say and it makes you feel amazing. Um, and sometimes you hear something like, I don't know if that's true for me, but I'm willing to try that idea on. And that is the first step to shifting the neural pathways and making change to being comfortable in the here and now. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And then you were talking about uh, acceptance. Well, actually, I want to I want to ping off of that because I also will in the middle of the night, 
you know, at times where I can't sleep, I will record a message to myself. So, like, during my moments of, like, quote-unquote insomnia uh, or I'm just having racing thoughts at night, I'll record something to myself as a message to listen to in the morning. And also uh, maybe as a, um, you know, I'm either, I'll either journal, meditate, or I'll, uh, you know, voice record a message to myself as a way of uh, expressing my feelings or uh, uh, navigating through my thoughts, et cetera. And I found that at night uh, it's more powerful for me to record my, my voice and then listen to it at another time. Uh, especially like when I'm driving, it's there's something soothing. A lot of people don't like the sound of their voice, but uh, I, I don't know. If I got an ego, but I love the sound of my voice. So it's a beautiful <laughs> voice, absolutely mellifluous. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna look up mellifluous, and uh, and so yeah, I love Honey to- sweet. <laughs> so I, I love that you mentioned that. I was like, am I the only one that does this? But uh, I appreciate you sharing that part. And then you said you were going to talk about acceptance. Uh, Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So I think acceptance is an incredibly important tool to be using, particularly in these times when life is genuinely hard and stuff is changing and stuff is changing around us rapidly. And the sensation of change actually has an emotion with a feeling around it. So sometimes we feel, you know, thrown for a loop and it is, that's just the feeling of change. And so when you notice what's going on and you accept like, oh, okay, this is changing. That's the feeling of change. Oh, I'm depressed. This is the feeling of depression. I I see where I'm at. This is what it is. And that is okay, that it's okay to be here and now, that it's okay. That is fundamental. And sometimes it can be really hard to accept that it's okay. I mean, we can, we're in places where the world is fundamentally shifting around us And the real question that you have to ask yourself is how do you adapt to that? Because we're so tempted to hold on to what was that we get obsessed with the past and how terrible the future will be because it is no longer the past. But we don't know what the future holds. And one thing I know to be true for my days is I can wake up feeling terrible in the morning and midday have an amazing day or have wonderful little things happen to me. And if I'm open to shifting my experience throughout the day and not holding on to what came before, it fundamentally transforms my experience of that day and therefore the experience of my life. And within COVID, one of the greatest tools for me has been acceptance of what is and not holding on to the past. And this is, you know, this is a tremendous meditation teaching that we don't need to hold on to what was because that's where the suffering is. And when we let go of wanting to be the same as it was before and being open to what it might be in the future without having to know, that is liberation. And there is the possibility that the future will be okay. You know, we are incredibly adaptable humans. We go through terribly shitty things in our life. People die. We lose our homes. People get sick. And then something happens in the next moment and the next moment you're still here and it's okay. You know, you, you find another way of living. You find another way of being, we become resilient. And from that terrible fall have, you know, really rich experiences that come out of it that allow us to grow and learn. We can exist in a world that in some sense happens for us and not to us. It can be very easy for something bad to happen to be like, why did this happen to me? But when you ask yourself, how can I learn and grow from it? Then the question becomes, why did this happen for me? Or, you know, Hey, this happened for me. How am I shifting, changing and growing through it? So there's this really fundamental tendency of acceptance that can seem so hard to do, but once you do makes all of this so much easier because it's no longer a fight. I'm so glad you mentioned acceptance because it, it it really is. The suffering is the wanting things to be different than how they are. And so many people who I hear struggling, you know, during this quarantine and COVID is that they're like, oh, why can't we get back to the way things were? 
I loved how the way th- do you ever think we'll get back to the way things were? And it, it's if like if you can't accept that this might be the new normal, then uh, it, it's going to take you longer to adapt. You know, Victor Frankl in his book, Man Search for Meaning, talked about the the difference between the people who were able to survive the Holocaust versus uh, the ones who uh, either uh, now I don't want to say died early, but the ones who, who weren't able to really uh, thrive or make a living afterwards was the ones who were able to survive mentally and emotionally were the ones who accepted their their situation and the life as it was, and they they turned inward, you know, to to whatever their inner resources were, versus the people who were trying to fight against everything that was happening in every moment and expending all that energy. Uh, and not to say that you shouldn't put up a fight and you shouldn't protest, but you have to know how to, to do that and still be able to come back to yourself and, and sit with yourself. So uh, there, there's power in, in what you're saying in terms of acceptance and, um, and, and being able to, to be with yourself. All of my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. All four of them on my mom's side and on my dad's side In my dad's side, uh, my grandmother and grandfather were in labor camps. My grandfather in Siberia, my mother, my grandmother in uh, Uzbekistan in the Fergana Valley. Um, and then on my mom's side, they were in Budapest. They're all Hungarian, all Jews. Um, they're in Budapest. My grandmother was in hiding in a Swedish safe house. She watched everybody being marched out of the Swedish safe house, including her husband, my grandfather. They were taken to the edge of the Danube and they were about to be shot into the Danube. My grandmother called Raoul Wallenberg. He showed up at the side of the Danube, the river there, declared them all Swedish citizens, brought them back to the house. You know, that is just one of the hundreds of stories that my relatives went through enduring the Holocaust. Um, many of them didn't survive because they were killed along the way. Luckily, my four grandparents did. Um, but yeah, there's some hard stuff. But they came, you know, they didn't know in that moment when they were in a labor camp or their relative was being literally shot into the like the river without exaggeration. They didn't know in that moment what life was going to be like after or if there was a life after. The amazing life that they knew was completely lost. Their beautiful childhoods completely lost. But for all four of them, they, you know, moved their way out of it. They moved to another city. They eventually came to North America, established themselves in New York and in Toronto, went on to have amazing lives, fantastic children, beautiful grandchildren, doing awesome things in the world, have beautiful experiences, travel, you know, have money, have like all of the things they had wanted. And in that moment when it seemed like it was so low, because literally your your family's being shot like at your feet at that moment when they thought they couldn't go on, because how was it ever going to be OK again? It was OK again. Life shifted. Life changed. They just needed to survive that moment. They just needed to get through that moment and to the next one and to keep holding on to the hope and the knowledge that they would figure it out and that the world around them would eventually change and that they would make the best of their life. And in every case they did. You know, I love that you said moment. Okay. I'm going to cry. (laughs) (sighs) Well, okay. Uh, There's a couple things. I was not expecting that story to come out. And one is thank (sighs) you for sharing that. And, and uh, obviously it was, uh, it was an emotional, uh, story for you and and it's uh, you know what comes to mind when you share that story is I would imagine for you as a as a kid and even maybe now as an adult when you are struggling with challenges personal challenges work challenges etc that was there a part of you that felt guilty for feeling unhinged by what was going on in your life when you think about what your grandparents had to go through? Does that make sense? Like, was there a part of you that that felt like you had to diminish your experiences because it, it could never compare to what they had undergone? Absolutely. You know, there were, 
my grandmother was a Holocaust speaker, so she would go throughout North America and talk about her experiences. On the other side, they never talked about it at all. But it was always this shadow above me um, that whatever was happening, it was nothing compared to what they went through and the resilience that they gained. And, you know, I was lucky to learn from their direct experience and their stories um, and to learn firsthand what resilience looked like and who you could become even going through something so terrible. Um, but it was, it was always, it was always just a little part of me that's like, no matter how bad it is, I'm, I'm not being shot into the river right now. It's okay. I can deal with this. Oh, and were there other lessons that, but, but you can, okay. So, cause this is fascinating to me. What you're going through is, is not being shot in the river. However, what you're going through is affecting you on some level. So what's the next thought process or next step after that? Because, and, and this is important because there are so many uh, people who um, are comparing their lives to the lives of their parents uh, or their grandparents and feel like, well, I should be able to get through this if my parents or grandparents went through, they, w w went through what they went through. But yet what you're going through is still a thing, like whether it's, uh, you know, going back to losing your house or maybe you lost a limb uh, in a war where maybe your grandparents lost three limbs. It's like it's still your experiences and it, it still could be traumatizing for you. What's your next step after that? So my next step after that is to recognize that this thing could have an impact on me and that's okay. You know, I'm very aware within myself of what looks like the vestiges of trauma. And, you know, when I see myself having a reaction or experience to be like, Oh, that's just a trauma reaction within me. You know, I, I know I might be overreacting because it's a trauma experience or I know I might be reacting and feeling this deeply and it's okay to feel that because this is, you know, this is a trauma response coming out. Um, and so these days with, you know, my significantly more, psychotherapeutically educated mind, I can observe what's happening inside me. I can see the experience of it. I can feel the emotions of it without getting pulled into, you know, guilt or frustration or anger or why me? And I can just have that experience and, and then from there take any lessons or learnings and move on into how I use this as a part of becoming a better person, how I use this as a part of becoming more resilient, becoming more compassionately aware of others and what they might be going through because it could feel like this too, you know, becoming more connected to the experience of being human because this is part of the experience of being human. So, you know, these days I have a lot of tools to help myself frame and experience things in ways that are really resilient. Um, earlier, you know, I would say I would, I would feel them. I would feel like it sucked. Um, but there was always this tiny little spark inside me that still just enjoyed the act of being human through whatever was happening. It's like, whoa, this really sucks, but at least I get to experience this and like, and I'm alive. And I think possibly from my grandparents experience, that sense of like, but at least I get to experience this and I'm here and now, and like, this is what it is to be human. And sometimes it sucks and that's okay. That was, that was always in there. I love that. At least I get to experience this, right? It's like, even if it sucks, yeah. even if this is like the that. worst, it's like, well, I, some, this is what being human is. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what tomorrow brings. I love that. And I, I think I heard your, is it, you have a daughter? Is that, was that her hurt in the background a little bit? That's my little four-year-old child. He just came home from his fourth day oh. of school ever. <laughs> so he's excited. He's excited. He has all the things he wants to share. Yeah. So, so that brings to mind then, because we know that the Muse uh, band is something that we, we put on our heads uh, and their sensors up front and behind the ears. So my question is, is this something that we would then expand for pregnant moms to uh, put on a, on a baby? I guess what I'm really asking is, at, at, is, there, um, is there an age that we would want to have our kids start wearing these headbands or learning how to meditate? Or how are you teaching your son who's four how to focus and be present? Sure. There was like 12 um, questions in there. <laughs> That's okay. At least you didn't ask me another incredibly popular question, which is, can I put it on my dog? So the answer for that one is no, there's too much hair in the way. 
and we don't have a one that fits on babies yet. Um, in terms of teaching your child to meditate, I started teaching my child probably at about two and we did it just with breathing. So we didn't call it meditation just when he was angry or upset or wanted something. I would say three deep breaths. Um, and then I would give him the thing. Like if he really wanted his tablet and he was freaking out and I didn't mind giving it to him that moment, it's like, okay, I'll give you your tablet three deep breaths. And then as soon as he did those deep breaths, I would reinforce, how do you feel now? See, when you do those deep breaths, you feel different. How do you feel calm? And he would always say, yes, calm, or say whatever he felt like he needed to say in order to get his tablet. <laughs> but, but he was starting to make those associations and actually start to observe. And from there, you know, it expanded into 10 deep breaths, um, he's not at the point where he can sit patiently with his eyes closed and meditate with me, although he pretends to sometimes, which is sweet. Um, and we have in one of the other apps that we make at Muse, we have an app called Meditation Studio. And in there, there's a full collection of guided meditations for children. So we'll do those because he actually really likes to sit with the guidance. And there are meditations like, you know, imagining yourself as a rainbow and every color is a different power or feeling that you have or being on a magic carpet ride. And so that's been a great way to start him into the meditation practice. Um, and we hear it commonly with families where like, you know, dad will bring home a muse or mom will, and then the teenage kids start using it. And then everybody's using the content and it really starts to bring meditation into the family when one person starts doing it and starts sharing it. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And, and earlier you, you referred to, you know, having different tools for resilience. Do you have a, a morning routine to, 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 because, and I asked this because, you know, I've, I've watched you in different interviews and your presentation. And you're so, you're always so calm and focused. I, always is not the word. But when I see you, you're calm and focused. And, and I wonder, like, what, what's your morning routine? What's that, what's that pregame ritual? So my morning routine now, it obviously, you know, changes COVID, children, all of these things impact your life. My current morning routine is to wake up at seven with my child, which is utterly delightful. And then as my now husband takes him to work, to school, which we can now do. Um, I do a 30 minute meditation and it typically begins with a laughter meditation. So I will start laughing, start laughing about what's going on in my life, how I'm feeling, the experience of being, I just start laughing and that starts to loosen all of the pieces. And then I'll move into a focused attention practice with Muse or a heart centered practice or one of our guided meditations. Um, and then I get up, you know, eat, stretch and get on my day. So through COVID, I have found beginning my day with a laughter meditation to be transformational. Yeah, I've heard of laughter yoga and like laughter workouts. I've never heard of the laughter meditation. I'm going to uh, check that out. It's a part of laughter yoga. Okay. So within laughter yoga, you also do laughter meditations. Um, and you you literally just sit there and laugh. And And once you start doing it enough, you can just laugh from nothing. You know, just the act of being, I can just laugh. Um, but initially there are things like, laughter yoga online groups, uh, just search probably, uh, Google search laughter yoga. And there's lots of laughter yoga online groups where people get on and just start laughing with each other. And there's prompts and little games that get you to start laughing. And sometimes people show up and they're like, this is really stupid. But then you sort of start to tickle and giggle. And then you sort of start to feel a little loosening and you're like, okay, that felt kind of good. Maybe I'll come back next week. And then you just get more and more into it. And as you do it, the the anxiety and the stress and the fight or flight and the amygdala freaking out and the tension just starts to loosen and melt away as you're physically like releasing the stuff from your body. It is so good. And the positive endorphins that you get, all the positive neurochemistry is really helpful. Having millions of users uh, with the Muse, I'm sure you've gotten incredible stories as to its uh, effectiveness and efficacy. Can you share with us a story that has resonated with you? Oh, there are so many. Um, but I just had an interview with a 
woman, I, I host a podcast called Untangle, and there was this amazing Zen priest called Reverend Angel, who was my podcast guest. And I had invited her on the podcast because I loved her writings and her teachings. She's just so beautiful. And as we started, I was just explaining a little bit of my background. I'm like, and I found it saying Muse. And she's like, Muse? Muse saved my relationship. And I was like, what? This is like a highly ordained Zen priest, like somebody who's really deeply into meditation. I'm like, you saved your relationship? So she was with, uh, she's queer. She was with a woman who she's still with many years later, who was not into meditation and really was resistant to it, but was an athlete. And so um, Reverend Angel had given her a muse to start to use and within three months could see like a dramatic change in how they're relating in the relationship, the kinds of fights that they weren't having so much anymore, the space that there was in the relationship, the way they're acting towards each other. Um, and she like literally actually said muse saved my relationship with the person she's still with today. So that just happened a few hours ago. <laughs> so that's the one that's top of mind. But, you know, we've heard so many beautiful, beautiful stories. And we've also been parts of part of probably 200 different research studies now. So Mayo Clinic has been using Muse with breast cancer patients awaiting surgery. They just published a paper demonstrating that these breast cancer patients awaiting surgery improve their quality of life and decrease their stress and fatigue through the cancer care process using Muse. So there's lots of, you know, really heartfelt stories that that are amazing and demonstrate the transformational power of meditation. Ariel, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to be on a podcast and, and share your passion. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you feel like would be of value to the listeners? If there is one idea to leave everyone with, it is that we are fundamentally lovable worthy, great human beings. And it is nothing but the voices in our own head that tell us otherwise. And the beliefs that those voices have instilled inside of us. It's from babyhood. When you come out of the womb, you are lovely. You are a perfect and whole human. And it's only the way that we perceive ourselves or perceive how the world sees us that shifts that fact. The fact is still true. It is just our perception that has shifted. And you have the ability to change how you think about and see yourself in the world. We can all change our thoughts and those thought patterns. It can be long and arduous work, but it happens. It happens every day. So bit by bit, as you shift the way that you think, you can feel better and understand that you are better. So know that somewhere inside of you is that amazing capable creature. And as you shift your thoughts, he or she will be uncovered. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I love that you said whole human. Uh, uh, what's the name of the book that I'm reading? I think it's like Thich Nhat Hanh or something. And he was saying how, oh, it's uh, Sarah Wilson's first we make the beast, the beast beautiful. And she said that instead of focus, focusing so much on am I happy, uh, to focus more on am I whole. And so when you said whole human, it, it, it just brought up to mind that passage from the book. Um, and, uh, and so that just resonated with me, and I wanted to share that. A last question uh, that I ask of all my guests, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Ariel? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking so I don't get this one wrong. There are other options. It may not seem like it right now, but tomorrow can and will be better. Move back, get help, and see how much better tomorrow will be.
Thank you so much, Ariel. Move back, get better, and see how much better tomorrow will be. I love that. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Ariel, please share with how they can get in contact with you or uh, uh, find the Muse product. Where, where can they plug all the things? Sure. Um, so you can find me on all the socials at, at Choose Muse. You can also find my contact and all the information about Muse at choosemuse.com slash welcome. That's C-H-O-O-S-E-M-U-S-E dot com slash welcome. Um, and then there's also a discount code for listeners, and that is welcome10. And all that will be listed in the show notes. Thank you so much, Ariel. Thank you so much, the listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the other numbers listed for if for LGBTQIAP. Uh, if uh, you are overseas, there are international numbers. There, if you can't talk, you can text. There are group messages. There are Facebook group messages. Talk to someone. Call an enemy. Call, call customer service. There's somebody who will talk to you. Your story needs to be heard. Get help. But it, it, it starts with you and, and you taking that first step. I thank you so much for tuning in. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Ariel. Thank you, Leo. Thank you for all your work. And just a quick reminder, BetterHelp is not a crisis line and wants you to start living a happier life today. So go to BetterHelp, H-E-L-P forward slash Leo and enjoy your 10% off today. Today you can start your journey to being happy, to achieving your goals, to feeling heard and connected. You can start communicating now. It's worldwide, and you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional now. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo to start your journey today.